how does it feel to be behind the scenes with an amazing director and actor and an entrepreneur welcome everyone to episode 55 behind the scenes with james pratt can i tell you that this is an honor and a privilege I think that you are very curious to find out what is happening behind the scenes with someone that is very grounded. And I may have my uh, preconceptions about Hollywood as well. However, as I got to know James' work and mindset, I have been blown away. Just a few words about my very special guest today. James' career started when he made a short film for $200 in Outback, Australia that was a finalist in the NBC Universal Shorts Fest in 2012. Wow, that was quite a while ago. James Pratt is a multi-award winning film professional, auctioneer and entrepreneur. He was the first person in the world to auction real estate with cryptocurrency. James, this is just amazing. And before we get started, I just want to say congratulations on the launch of your amazing movie, that comedy that I so look forward to seeing very soon, Malibu Crush, that has already won some very important awards. James Pratt, welcome. What a privilege to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I really, really like that introduction, but thank you very much, Roxana. It's great to have you here, and um, I'm pretty sure that our audience would love to know, before anything else, James, what inspired you to have this wonderful movie released on the 7th of September? What is behind Malibu Crush, since it's such a fresh launch? You know, it's a, it's a really funny story in the sense of the 7th of September was what the, uh, so it came out in Australia, New Zealand before America, one day before, but it's sort of up to the distributor uh, rather than the filmmakers to kind of get that release date. And so I, I was in Canada uh, on another film project and I got this, basically this email that said, oh, by the way, Malibu Crush comes out in like two weeks. You need to get ready for a premiere in Sydney. So that was just started this journey where I went Toronto to Vancouver, Vancouver to Sydney, Sydney for three days, Sydney back to LA. And it was this thing I kind of, I, it just went so fast I didn't get a chance to enjoy it. But uh, the Australian distributor, uh, they kind of obviously coordinated with all the, the streaming platforms and where it is obviously out for the seventh. And then in the US, it's a different distributor. So you're kind of waiting on the distributors once you've made a film. And like I said, it just got very, very chaotic, <laughs> very chaotic, very fast. And it also went like in like a blink of an eye. It just went so fast. Wow, I can imagine. And hearing you say that, it just makes me wonder, James, would you say that Hollywood life and acting and being in the spotlight happens super fast and maybe a bit chaotic? Yeah, it's, it's one of those industries where like it's not like a doctor where you go to, go to school, for example, for let's say six, seven years medical school, then you get a roster, you know, you, you work at say, you know, a set hospital for the whole year and you have a, a much more structured uh, sort of life where you can sort of plan your days ahead. I think, you know, the entertainment industry in general is one of those things where you can be absolutely down to your last $5 and then one audition later, you can be a series regular on a TV show getting you know, like 50,000 an episode and being treated like royalty. So it, it happens very fast on both sides. And that stability, I think, that other careers and sometimes other industries have, um, you know, people sometimes forget, like, stability is a great thing um, for the entertainment industries. It's, it's like, you know, trading in ways. Wow. Thank you for saying that. I did not hear anyone say it so direct and I appreciate your honesty so much because I don't know what's happening lately, James. Maybe you can agree with how things are unfolding in Australia, but European people, most of the very young entrepreneurs, they have this thing of 
being famous overnight, going viral, being super in front of the spotlight, quick. Do you think that this is a healthy way of wanting to pursue your life, to pursue success in this way? What do you think? I, I know what you, I know exactly what you're getting at because I, I think in Hollywood where I am, it's it's really clear when you see someone, you know, it doesn't matter what age they are, but they say, hey, like, I, I really love acting. I want to be an actor. And then they're auditioning for reality TV shows all the time. And then they're auditioning to be a presenter. Then they're auditioning to be a dancer. And it's that thing where it's, it's like some people love the idea of being famous, um, but they don't want to admit that, so they hide behind the cover of like, oh, no, I, I love acting. You know, it's fun. I think there's a, a very big difference. Um, and there's nothing wrong with like if, if you just want to be famous, like absolutely nothing wrong with it. But I, I do know exactly what you're talking about, where I think a lot of people don't want to put in any work. They just love the idea that they make, you know, some weird video on Instagram that gets two million hits and then they can start charging money and being influencer, which is which is different from having a career. Um, I've actually got some friends of mine that, that sort of fell into being influencers and then they fell out of it just because the, the lifestyle for someone who's uh, one particular friend, he, uh, he got up to, I think, three, 3.2 million YouTube subscribers. So he was making great money from YouTube, but he was sort of saying, like, after six, seven months, it's like half the money he makes, he has to put back into ads and the algorithms. And it's like his days have gone from him wanting to write movies because he's a screenwriter. Uh, that's his passion to coming up with ways to do pranks, you know, for YouTube, for the audience. And it's that thing where it was like, it does have a little bit of a, a different career trajectory than say someone that wants to be a film producer. You know, you can study it and you can follow that through. Um, you know, influences, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough industry to kind of have a long longevity, even if it happens very quickly overnight. I'm very grateful that you said that. Because coming from you, when you are just in that uh, part of the world, just feels very different. So uh, our fearless friends watching us on Instagram and watching us on YouTube, let's be honest, you need to have uh, some values. You need to be very grounded in order to make a career. As James said, it's so different than being an influencer. It's like a whole different domain, right? Yeah, and I, I think the key takeaway is once, you, and this is going off, you know, several close friends of mine that I, I mentioned that have been, you know, they did it for about a year and, and one particular guy mentioned, you know, with, with millions of YouTube subscribers, it, it does sort of consume you quite a bit because obviously if you're famous for hypothetically, you know, um, skateboarding on, on top of a car, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. You've got to get better and better, and that's obviously a business then. Uh, so the money that you get from influencing, you've got to then put out into either, you know, camera crews to shoot you, you know, algorithms, buying Instagram, Facebook ads. Uh, it does sort of end up becoming a, yeah, it's quite consuming and um, a different thing. Totally props to you, though, if that's what you want to go after. But it's, it's just not quite as easy as, you know, I'm suddenly famous the next day and I don't need to do anything. Wow. And, you know, I love it that you just said that it's, it's a business and you need to invest in order to be very visible out there. And this question just came to me, James. Would you say that compromising in order to get what you want in having a career in this part of the entertainment would be a good idea, and if yes, to what extent? When you say compromise, do you mean pull back a little bit or compromise on your goals? What, what, um, what would you like me to, to kind of dive mm, into? Good question. I would love it if you could tell us if, for example, someone has uh, a particular type of content and uh, the audience may want something else, like you said, pranks, would they be needing to compromise for a while just to be keeping their audience up and running, up and going? It's exactly what you said. And I, I, 
I'm, I'm laughing because I also had this, uh, this friend of mine, I've known her for a very long time back in Australia, uh, before I came to LA and she was doing the whole influencing thing as a model and she was just skyrocketing fans more and more and more. <laughs> and then she found this guy that she really liked in LA. They dated, but she didn't put that on her Instagram. And then they got engaged. She just put like an Instagram photo up of the engagement. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing because it was like so crazy. Literally overnight, she went from like 800 something followers, 800,000 something followers overnight to like 350,000 followers. Like just like that. Just because she wanted to put something that wasn't this sort of fake, it's like, hey, I'm engaged, I'm excited, I want to share this. And her fans just plummeted, like, just like that. So kind of to answer your question, I think I think that is, is one of the trepidations with obviously uh, the getting famous for a niche market is you kind of have to play in that sandbox because that's what people want to see you doing, they want to see you doing that. And people find it hard to, to sort of picture you as anything else. That's the other thing. Like, I mean, um, th this friend of mine from Australia, like she was really good at being that sort of Instagram model, but no one kind of could picture her as being, you know, the, the family sort of person. And so she kind of lost that audience straight away. Um, luckily, she's got a great sense of humor. And she sort of didn't let it sort of get her down. But that's a great example of, yeah, like exactly like you said, sort of like, do can you compromise? It's hard to compromise, I think, in, in that sort of field. Wow, I did not expect this. This is amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful that she does have a good sense of humor because it can really affect you mentally at, uh, at a certain point. And I was wondering, James, when people are wanting to build a career, can you please share with us, how was your journey? How did you build such a wonderful career for yourself? It's, it's been just like a roller coaster. That's, I think, the, the best way to sum it up. It's been a real roller coaster. Um, I think the best, like, how did I build it? I think the biggest, the biggest obstacles I faced have always been the biggest triumphs. And I, I've used that quote before, but it's true because it's, it's always been the bigger the stress or the bigger that sort of mountain that you think, how am I going to overcome? Once you overcome it, you realize that life is much better on the other side. Uh, and so... Yeah, I mean, I think that's where, to sort of sum it up, I think the obstacles that I've faced have also been the, the trajectory that's put me in a nice place, whether that's been in the film career, um, you know, the entrepreneur side with the, um, the, the cryptocurrency or even building the, the auction business. It's very much been, yeah, facing obstacles builds success. How did you start your journey as an actor? and as a director, or were these two related? How did you go from being an actor to being a director? So with the, the acting, uh, I finished, I finished uh, high school. Uh, my parents were not really thrilled when I said I'd like to be an actor. <laughs> uh, and so they, they sort of said, look, if you want to do this thing, like you also have to study like business as well. So I studied uh, the Diploma of Real Estate. At the same time, I went to this acting school called NIDA in Australia and Sydney. Um, it's a great acting school. I know when I went there, there was, you know, Mel Gibson had been there, Kate Blanchett had been there. Um, basically, like, it had a great alumni, which kind of gave you a little bit more, I think, motivation to kind of try. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to do some acting classes on the side and I expect to do well. It was very intense. Uh, finished acting school and was also finished the real estate. And I, and I had in my mind that the real estate was always to fall back on. Um, my parents, by that stage, while I finished uh, university, <clears throat> they just about all my family had moved over to, to America. I decided to go traveling. Uh, I ran out of money and I was in this very small country town in the middle of nowhere. Like, I'm talking like you know, straight out of like a movie scene where it's like back to front, you know, thousands and thousands of acres before you see people. Uh, and I called my parents for help and they were kind of like, no way, you know, you've got yourself in this mess, you need to start being an adult. I thought I was an adult, but I, apparently I wasn't. 
Uh, and so what I did, I, I had this idea that I'd stay in this country town for about a month, six weeks, and there was this high-paying job in real estate. And I thought, great, I have this diploma. I'll show this to them. And it basically started from there. So I stayed in that town for about a year and a half. And right before I left, I had uh, I had changed a lot. Uh, I got rid of the um, I got rid of the disappointment of being there. Uh, and I so with the acting side, I I made this film. So I wrote this film because I knew I was leaving. And the the art direction out there was like things you can't believe. It was like at night you could see the stars everywhere. Um, there was thousands and thousands of acres of wheat fields. There was crop dusters that would be flying, you know, like ten meters over cornfields for acres when they were um, when they were working. Like there was basically scenery that you'd never see again unless you really could, took time off and went, you know, into the middle of nowhere. There was droughts, there was floods, there was all these things. And I'm in the middle of nowhere, and pretty much there's no actors, directors, writers, producers, like. Um, film is like such a foreign thing out there and certainly wasn't like no one was very excited about it either so what I did is I wrote this script borrowed I paid um, I think I paid a hundred dollars for this camera that I could hire from this lady and because there was no one out there I had to basically write direct act produce myself and I just cast all local actors there was actually this outpost this radio station um, trying to think what it was i think it was oz stereo or southern cross it's called southern cross and what had happened is there was a couple of couple of uh, guys my age that had graduated from film school like radio school in sydney and if they want to get ahead they rather than doing like a night shift or a 2 a.m shift on a major radio show if they go to like a regional spot they can host their own radio show and then come back to the city after 18 months two years because they hosted their own show, like it gives them a much higher chance to get like a, a breakfast show or whatever. And I actually connected with these guys, and they're sort of in the same boat as me, a little bit, I guess you could say, like um, fish out of water in the sense they'd come from somewhere else and they were not always going to stay there. And so I cast some of those guys uh, in in the film, and I found this makeup artist that her husband had inherited this ranch that was like 45,000 acres, and she'd moved from the city to be with her husband. Um, but she'd done makeup for like 25 years on, on MTV. So I found these people, put the short film together, shot it, and then edited it. It went for about 70 minutes, could be a well agent. And uh, it's like a comedy, you know, basically comedy movie guy comes from New York looking for a supermodel and goes to extreme lengths because he's going off like a photo that he's seen um, and he finds her in the middle of nowhere in outback Australia um, but she doesn't want anything to do with that life and instead you know there's like there's a lot of situational comedy you know like you can imagine a New York model agent turning up in an outback town where people have no interest in that and uh so yeah, edited that and then got into NBC Shorts Fest and then was a finalist, uh, NBC Universal Shorts Fest for that year and was a finalist. And I, I always remember because of, you know I got a deal with NBC after that um, because they loved the project so much. But I always remember them thinking like, wow, you must have had a lot of money to go from Sydney to this outback place to get this art direction you know how did you get crop dusters and planes and cornfields and this and it was like hundred dollars for the camera and hundred dollars for catering that was it so wow. yeah james this is genius i mean how resourceful were you i love it that you wanted to pursue both activities you wanted to be an actor, you wanted to be a director, you also had your real estate uh, diploma with you. That's amazing. And I see that you are enjoying comedy a lot. I'm also a fan of comedy. Don't give me any other types of movies because I'm just not too much into it. I just want to have a good laugh. What does comedy mean to you? What inspires you around it? Well, my, my favorite comedy is, is definitely The Farley Brothers. So if anyone, what am I talking about, The Farley Brothers? Uh, Bobby and Peter Farley, so they're the guys that wrote, directed Dumb and Dumber, uh, Shallow House, Something About Mary, Hall Pass, uh, mm -hmm. Me, Myself and Irene, 
um, that's their kind of wheelhouse, that sort of comedy. So that, I mean, that, that's just my personal opinion. You know, I, I, I love that sort of thing. But I think, I think comedy right now is, is super important in the world because I think you can agree there's enough negative headlines everywhere that uh, the comedy is definitely much, much more of a uplifting thing than, say, clickbait um, or celebrity gossip <laughs> that's online at the moment. Oh, yes, definitely. And, you know, as we talked earlier, I'm enjoying Dumb and Dumber and I also loved something about Mary. Definitely, that humor is just getting you to laugh out loud. So I can only wait for Malibu Crush to be available in Europe, to be available in Romania, because I wanted to buy it. And it said like with big red letters, it's not available in your part of the world. And I said, oh my God. My, my only recommendation is if you can get a VPN, uh, and just go into the United States or Australia, New Zealand, or Canada. we have a just... VPN. My husband and I, we have a VPN, but it's still not working. So you know, this is oh, no. good. This is good actually because it means that Amazon really have great high security. So this is something that <laughs> I admire either about. That or, yeah, either that or they don't want you watching. <laughs> I'm going to watch it, even if that means coming to the U.S. I'll be traveling next year. So if I can't get to see it until January here in Romania, I'm definitely going to see it in the U.S. because uh, I'm really curious about that. I love the trailer. I love it when you said that, you know, they are um, idiots together. And this just is really funny. And this just makes you laugh. And it makes you think of really pleasant memories. So I guess this is the magic of comedy at the end of the day just making you forget about uh, anything else screaming babies in my case <laughs> what can you do yeah there's 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 very little intelligence in, in malibu crush it's uh i think both the lead characters put together as intelligence still doesn't make up one regular person's intelligence so that's what you're in for yeah. oh my god and now i'm even i'm even more curious now and um, oh, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of fun yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. And I think that behind the rushing and sticking to a schedule that you basically have to do when shooting a movie, I think that you also had a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's a sense where I think the the enjoyment is with, with making a movie. I think whatever you've got going on in your personal life or behind the scenes, it's a detachment where you can dive into someone else's life, whether you're playing a different character, you can dive into that, or whether you're working behind the scenes and you're a cinematographer or you're a grip or you're a sound guy, you can actually dive into that world of what are you shooting or what does this world look like? So I think anyone that's that's creative also really jumps to that, um, which, which makes it exciting. Uh, and there's also the stress. I mean, Hollywood... What goes on behind the scenes in Hollywood is is often just padded out with great publicists who, uh, you know, make sure any problems making a, a big studio movie never get out, and you know it's all about the red carpet and everybody loves everyone. But you know it's still a business, so there's often things that go on behind the scenes that you know it's it's work. I'm loving what you just said. You mentioned the word business. You have said this a few minutes earlier when we talked about Instagram and influencing. I guess that it's so much healthier from a mental point of view to just look at entertainment as an industry, as a business, that it's not always personal. What would you say to a young person, someone that is maybe looking to get noticed with their business, maybe they want to be an actor, maybe they want to be an influencer, what would you say that the best advice, the first step, would be for them? I think if they, if they want to get noticed, I think they've got to have good content. Meaning, you can, like my first, my, my lowest hanging fruit would be, if someone's trying to get a little bit of notoriety, my, my lowest hanging fruit would be go and get a publicist or talk to someone about doing a little bit of publicity on you so then you as a person or a brand get a bit of 
a bit of mention somewhere, even if it's just a digital footprint somewhere. But I think the, the thing that goes just before that is, is make sure that you've got some sort of content, which is great, because obviously it's, it's the same thing as if you're a great actor and you're suddenly seen on the red carpet, the first thing people are going to do is they're going to look you up on IMDb and say, oh, like, where can I watch this person? They seem great on the red carpet. What are they like as an actor or a producer or whatever? And if you've got no credits, then it's kind of like a false start. So I think they go hand in hand. So have something to offer someone. It could be could be something really small, like you've got a really good uh, acting showreel, self-tape, but have something so that when you do get some publicity, it leads to something rather than just, you know, again, a quick mention somewhere and then people think, oh, you know, that was just somebody on the red carpet who was a friend of a friend. Wow, this is great advice. At the end of the day, James, I see that it basically all boils down to offer value, to also get to know who you are as a person. What, what values do you as a human are offering out there? Could you maybe share with us, if you want, maybe one or two values of yours, some of your mottos, something that keeps you inspired to do what you do? Well, I mean, I, I always am drawn to good people. I think that's something where integrity plays like a big part in the sort of people, I, I, if I had a choice, I'd love to work with, and obviously personal life, like they're the sort of people that when you've got free time, you want to, you want to sort of be around. But I think the other thing is you also want to be around people that are generous. Uh, there is a lot of people in any industry that are, you know, opportunists. So they're very nice and they're, you know, obviously good to be around. But when you do well, they want a slice of the pie. But when they do well, like, you know, the door's closed. And, and I think a lot of people can relate to this. It doesn't have to be the entertainment industry, but you've got two types of people. You've got the person that perhaps is senior to you that, takes an interest in you, says, hey, you know, if you need a connection or would you like to be introduced to this person, um, happy to sit down and have lunch with you and give you some advice. That's the sort of person I think that's that's definitely great to kind of put yourself around. You have the other person that they're nice to you, they get along well with you, and maybe they respect you, but you know that it's going to be hard to be able to have lunch with them and, and ask for advice. Or you know that if you said, hey, do you think you could introduce me to this person that you're connected with, they're probably going to say things like, I can have a chat with them, but I think they're really busy. Like, they're going to sort of brush it off. And I think people forget, like, there is a little bit of give and take with that. Like, there is some times when you've obviously got to be open and generous. But I, I do think the more you help someone, the more it comes back to you. I, I, I really believe that it's, if you're trying to do it all yourself, you're just going to hit, say, second gear or third gear and maybe be very successful, but you're just going to stay in that gear. Um, the more you help others, the more it does come back to you. What a beautiful advice. And I have to say that I did not expect this. This is amazing. Our fearless friends, well, if you have been a generous person until now and you have maybe thought, it's not working out for me, just maybe I should just focus more on me, I think that James' advice is so much more healthy from all perspectives. So let's be more kind to each other. Let's be more generous. I love this so much. And um, since we have also mentioned business and entrepreneurship, James, can you please maybe share with us what is your insight on cryptocurrency? What draws you to this um, part of business? How do you see it? I, I think it's got a lot of merit. I know <laughs> I'm laughing again because if you say cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFTs uh, in Los Angeles, you get one or two people. You get the person that just looks at you and has like a glazed look in their eye, kind of goes off like a news headline, like crypto scammer or something like that. And then you have the other person that really gets it and is like, you know, you know, I love NFTs and I get the process. I, I do think there is obviously, it's, an, it's, it's less regulated than, say, a lot of other industries. Like, it's new. You could call it the Wild West. Unfortunately, that does attract a lot of people that are looking for shortcuts or people that perhaps 
if they pulled the same thing in another industry that's been established, they wouldn't be able to get away with it. Whereas, you know, like I said, you know, cryptocurrency, NFTs, they're still still new, so it does attract not always the best people. But I think looking away from that, I think it's got tremendous value. I think it's the future. I think it just goes in those waves of how big uh, big tech and big industry choose to, to utilize it. Like a, a great example is how an NFT helps your movie is let's say you don't want to do NFTs, you make a short film, a very simple thing, you make a short film. The short film gets into a, uh, a film festival, it wins the film festival, and then it just stops. There's nothing really can come from a short film. How an NFT can work is you could do an NFT of the deleted scenes of uh, that short film. You could do a poster of the short film. You could say, look, I'm going to offer my short film. It's 10 minutes long. I'm going to cut it up into to five different slots, and you can each own two minutes each as an NFT. And so that person then gets an extra revenue stream. They get longevity. And this is, this is an add-on. Like, they're not doing anything illegal. They're not doing anything that's hard. They're not doing anything that someone else couldn't do. They're using an NFT as another way, another revenue stream for, for a film. And, and if you take that mm-hmm. as a small level and then move that onto a big picture film like Aquaman 2, imagine how much an NFT of a deleted scene would sell for. So for mm-hmm. Warner Brothers then, hypothetically, they've spent two, $300 million on that movie. Why wouldn't you try and recoup another you know, two or three million off an NFT of one of the main characters or some deleted scenes or a limited edition poster. So it's just another revenue stream you can do. Uh, and I, I do think that obviously it, you know, it, it, it works on the industry, but definitely in the music industry, definitely in the film industry, uh, it, it goes hand in hand with, with going ahead and, and actually getting an extra revenue stream and, and more exposure. Wow. This is truly fascinating. So I know that NFTs are unique digital prints, right? You have something that... Yeah, non-fungible tokens, yeah. Wow. And you can make just like the possibilities are unlimited, actually. And since you are in real estate as well, James, can NFT be related to real estate in any way? Yeah, I mean, thank you for saying I'm in real estate. Not really as much as before. I still have JPA Group, which I which I founded, um, but full time in the film industry. But I still make sure everybody's doing their job at JPA Group. Uh, but absolutely, um, I mean, a great example is hypothetically if that how and this is very very simple. But let's say you're selling a really unique home, a home that's got a design pool that has a waterfall, uh, and you love that. What's to stop? When you buy the house, there's an NFT of the marketing of the photos, meaning you own the original photo of that pool and that design, because obviously the, the photos look amazing from when the house was uh, was or obviously when, when the house marketing was done. Uh, that that's just an example. It could be an NFT of the home if the home was shooting a movie in it, or the home was had some history to it. It could be an NFT of that. Um, so, and by that I mean, let's say you bought the house that was the first house in Bel Air. Hypothetically, the first house in Bel Air, you could get a graphic designer to do a poster of the first house in Bel Air, um, and then sell that as an NFT as a one-on-one. Meaning, this is a very good, you know, graphic designer. Maybe it's a famous graphic designer or someone that's done some other works. So you're investing in his sort of workmanship, and you're investing in. You know the one of one, and that's that's always going to be used in history. If it's the first house, so there's a whole way you can get creative, uh, which which works really well. This is brilliant. You know, I have been taking notes, and I need to thank you for this uh, short business course that you are also offering us because it's just so unlimited to what you can do in this field. So thank you very much for sharing this. Yeah, and, and always good to do research because, like I said, there is like there is people that have looked to do uh, like a quick turnaround in money. But yeah, I mean, there is just so many great opportunities uh, that you can do, and it's it's not just limited; it's pliable in in just about any industry. And yeah, you just put that NFT up on OpenSea, MobileProductions.com's got a uh, a great marketplace. You can put it up on Rarity. That there's a, a range of spots you can just literally like eBay, put it up 
and sell it, and then you get royalties every time that resells if you're the original owner. This is amazing, and I think that every actor, every person, and not necessarily if you're in the entertainment industry, we can definitely just focus on this and just go with what the online and the graphics and the endless possibilities are offering us. So thank you for mentioning this. And um, we are called uh, Stories About Fear, and I would love to get your insight of what fear means to you. James, do you see it as a guide that has given you uh, impulses through the years or did you have uh, setbacks? How was it for you? I, I think fear is definitely a motivation. If you can use fear as a, a motivator to get better, to overcome, um, you know, to change the course of your life, like it doesn't always have to be a, a bad thing. Um, I have this, I have this friend of mine, I'm not going to say friend, I'm going to say, I'd say a friend, but not a close friend. Uh, he's in the NFL, uh, really successful, and he said to me one day, he said, uh, his motto was, you put $10 in, you get $10 out. You put $1,000 in, you get $1,000 out. And what he was referring to is referring to training. So if he goes to training, stays, which is like 10 a.m. to 1, and then leaves right on 1, and then does nightclub signings at night and, and doesn't really put much in. He basically does the bare minimum. Then when his playing days are over, it's going to look like, well, you know what? Yeah, he did bare minimum. You know, he could have been better or he could have worked harder while he was in that atmosphere. But there's also the obstacle where a lot of people go, I don't want to work too hard or I don't want to do something because I'm afraid of, of why I'm doing it. So... When I say fear is a motivator, I think it could be the thing that really drives you if you let it, or it could be the thing that pushes you away, but you want it to be the motivating factor uh, for something better. Because if, if if everything was easy, I think there'd be no sort of, everything would be $10 in and $10 out. Like nothing would really change for people. Uh, so, so that's probably how I look at it. Thank you for sharing this. I love it. Would you say that you are keeping a healthy, strong mindset by just learning from everything around you and just get motivated, as you said, when things maybe don't go as you have planned? I think I, I've learned to, probably that experience in Outback Australia was the hardest thing and also the best thing because it kind of changed my um my perception on you can't control, like you can only control what you can control. Uh, so I guess that's like from that on, leading on in, like I, I choose to, to sort of like try and be a bit more focused. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the overall arch to answer your question is I enjoy, I know myself well, like I know myself now that I enjoy when there's a bit of chaos in my life. When it's all stable, like let's say nine to five, 340 days a year, and six weeks holiday a year, and everything's pre-planned, I, I feel like I go crazy. Um, I like the idea of, you know, you're here, and then you're here, uh, or like being on a film set, and then there's a, suddenly it's great one day, and then the next day it's stormy weather, and you can't shoot, and one of the actors had COVID, and, and there's all of a sudden there's that, little bit of chaos, I enjoy that because I know that at the end of it, it's actually a lot more rewarding. Like, I'm going to feel a lot better at the end. I've, I've learned something. I've problem solved. So I think that's also just learning how you, uh, you know, what sort of personality you are and what you like. But, yeah, it's a sad thing when you say that you enjoy chaos. <laughs> I, I enjoy the ride. I enjoy the ride. I love it. It's actually uh, very interesting to hear you say this because to me I'm also a neurolinguistic programming trainer it just shows that you are just living outside of your comfort zone for a while now you're just loving the unknown and that's just amazing this is a sign that you are literally growing every day because we have so much unknown as much as we plan and organize and strategize everything it's just impossible to keep up with everything so instead of saying that uh, you may think it's a bit sad just 
call it as uh, rewarding, as you said, because you know that at the end of the day, you'll be feeling so much uh, more rewarded. Yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate you saying that, yeah, because I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of part of the journey, isn't it? Like learning to perform really good uh, when it's uncomfortable, um, and that's not just at work, but also in your personal life, like learning to enjoy, you know, going surfing when you know when you finish surfing, you know, there's going to be 25 voicemails on your phone, um, rather than being like, I can only enjoy surfing when I know when I come in, everything's taken care of and there'll be no traffic on the road and all these It's Yeah, just taking care of yourself that way too. I love it. And I love the realistic side of it. You're not waiting for things to be awesome for you to enjoy things. And yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, what do you do to just release steam, to just enjoy life doing 100% what you love doing? What's that activity? Uh, you know what? I have trouble. Like, you can ask people, like, when I go on a holiday, and let's say the holiday is like a week, it takes me like three days to decompress and just slow down and actually enjoy it. Like, I, I really do. Like, I sort of feel like I feel bad, like, say, the first day. Like, I really should be doing something because you've sort of trained yourself to be working very hard. And then the next day, it's like that thing where it's like, I still feel on edge, and then by the third day, you're kind of like, okay, this is this is really cool. Um, but I think just, you know, fun hiking, surfing, um, aeroplanes, uh, you know, photography, uh, riding, tennis, basketball, just, just things that are usually still still very active. Uh, and just, you know, like, I love um, I love helping people too. So it's, it's great to sort of connect with people from all walks of life and hear, hear their journey and, and what they want to do. Uh, I find that fascinating too. Wow, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, I, could, uh, I can see myself hiking for sure. And, uh, no, like, LA, LA has the best. If you have a, a running canyon out in Malibu, like there's these amazing hiking spots that uh, you can do right before sunrise, which just gives you a really wow. nice perspective. I can imagine. I've seen photos. I haven't been to the LA side yet, but I'm I'm pretty sure that you have some great views there. And since oh, yeah. um, you mentioned LA, James, um, is there a certain actor or a movie director that you would really love to collaborate with in the future? Any favorites? I think probably like the old school actors. When, when I was at NIDA, actually, there was uh, this is like a close um, a close encounter. But when I was at NIDA, Al Pacino, this is the acting school in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Al Pacino actually visited. And wow. I just remember he visited and was only speaking to the final year students, and it was like everyone else in the school couldn't go and see him, but there was this buzz that Al Pacino, like you know, him and De Niro, kind of like living legends in the the acting space. But it was that that energy that, you know, here's a real movie star. And, and that's the sad thing too, I think now, I won't, I won't say it's a sad thing, but I think it's something to be aware of, is the true movie star era is kind of gone, um, where just one actor could hold up a whole movie. For example, you know, it could be one of the, the James Dean type actors where, you know, you saw the movie because James Dean was in it. Um, Tom Hanks did it really well throughout the 90s where it was a Tom Hanks film where he was the movie star, whereas we've sort of seen a shift in Hollywood now where it's more about just the characters. So it's like, who's going to play Spider-Man in five years' time? Who's going to play the Hulk in five years' time? Not the actor, it's the character. Wow. This is truly fascinating that you said this. You are so right. I remember just being... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's slowly phased out and it's... I mean, it's, it's sad in one way, but it's, it's good in another because I, I think sometimes some of these actors were not superstars. They were just put on this pedestal where it was like they were written where they were always the toughest guy on the scene or whatever, but it was still a great way of making movies rather than kind of this rinse and repeat, you know, like let's get this person to play, the, like I, I mentioned. Um, I, think, I think people say right now, they sort of mention that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's the last sort of remaining kind of true movie style, where he could do a movie where they would fund the movie, it was just him in it, and people would go and see it, where it would just be him. 
Whereas if you look at a lot, a lot of the younger actors now, it's like if they do a movie, there's four or five other famous faces in it. And they're, like I said, they're playing a character that's more than likely a reboot. Um, and that character that they play will, will be, you know, possibly to someone else, uh, you know, in five or six years' time. Wow. You know, looking back, James, just a few years ago, how many people we or how many actors we already have for Spider-Man? I think it's three already, right? And it's such a short. Yeah. No, oh my god. It's more. It's like four or five, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I'm behind. Okay, I need to catch up. <laughs> but you are so right. We are building characters rather than those big actors. And you mentioned that there was this huge buzz and energy when Al Pacino visited that amazing place. What, oh, yeah. What do you think builds such tremendous energy, James? Is it the charisma? Is it publicity? Or what is it? Something that when people hear about El Pacino, you just like, you want to faint. <laughs> I think, yeah. And I think for some people, it might be the publicity. Uh, and that's one of the ways in which Hollywood does work as well. Like, I've been around friends and they've been like, oh my God, that's so and so. And I've kind of rolled my eyes like yeah that's someone from the desperate housewives that <laughs> i had no idea like um and i think if you look at the opposite like say robert de niro where he's done such incredible performances where it's like you're almost you're not so much about the publicity you're you're drawn to the allure of that on-screen character that ability that he's had um which makes it very appealing and i mean without pacino it's it's also that thing where this is a guy that's, you know, take your pick from like Scarface or, or one of the many, many films he's done. It's like when he's dead, there's not going to be someone that could have played that role probably better than him. So you're kind of looking as well as a little bit of a moment in time where, uh, you know, when people said, you know, I shook Frank Sinatra's hand or there's these small things where people left a mark, you know, they, they did that because they had talent. It wasn't just because they had a publicist that sort of put them out there and made them more than they were. They actually had talent. And amazing reputation. They built it maybe effortlessly, I, as I see it. Maybe they just did not think about, I want to be famous. Maybe their mindset was, I just want to serve. I want to entertain. I want to make people that are watching me very happy to get something out yeah. of it. Amazing. Well, there's, there's like, it's an interesting conversation because I think Obviously, publicity really helps with the brand, uh, which is great. But I think at the same time, it's still a business. And I think the the kind of the, the, the slight issue with publicity that sometimes gets actors over the top is they become very, very famous, and then they have a scandal. And it doesn't matter how well their publicist tries to put pictures of them helping out at a children's hospital or donating money. Media outlets know that they'll get clicks on a page by really hyping that scandal up. And so obviously mm -hmm. if the studio's invested, you know, 50, 100 million dollars in a movie, then that scandal kind of gets a bit of a tidal wave. Whereas there is there is some pretty amazing actors and actresses out there, you know, Meryl Streep, you know, Edward Norton, Keanu Reeves, um, Johnny Depp, like they don't traditionally seek out the front pages of magazines. They only do that once the film gets publicity. Um, oh, Owen Wilson's a great example as well. I mean, he's getting 15, 20 million a movie, um, and he's been getting that for a long time because it's it's almost like if a studio hires him, they know they're going to get someone who delivers. Whereas if a studio hires someone that's just a little too much in the media, it's like they don't want to finish shooting a movie and a year later that person's you know got this horrible scandal out on them. So it's it's yeah. it's something just to be aware of too. Um, but yeah, that's why you that's why you have a publicist and a bit of a team around you when you get to that that stage. This is amazing, and yeah, as you mentioned, reputation and scandal. Unfortunate what happens to Will to Will Smith, but I have a feeling that he is on his way to just getting back on track because, yeah, sometimes things happen. Mental health just takes its toll if you don't prioritize it. So, thank you for this. Amazing. Thank you for these wonderful insights, James. I really appreciate it. And before we go, there's one question that um, I would love to ask you if you are up for a bit of a challenge. Sure. <laughs> awesome. You know, 
I knew you would say yes, since you are. I probably should ask what it was. If your 10th year in advanced self would give you an advice, what would you think that advice would be? Uh, is this in 10 years' time, or am I going back in 10 years to 10 years uh, me earlier? In the future. I, I would probably say the best advice would be just slow down and enjoy the journey because kind of like what I mentioned with the, the surfing analogy where if I can only enjoy going surfing when I know that there's not going to be voicemails and I can sleep in tomorrow and, you know, everything's perfect, then I'm robbing myself of the whole point of going surfing, which is to give you an escape from, from reality. So I think slow down, enjoy the journey. And, and recognize that sometimes the best moments of your life are going to happen when things haven't gone your way or when things are stressful. Uh, and I, I really, really believe that because I, I do think that you have um, you have things come into your life for a reason. And I certainly know, you know, there's been times in my life where I've been extremely lucky and things have happened to me when things have been very stressful. I look back and think, you know what? I think they were there to kind of balance out and sort of even keel. If I just had that great thing in my life when I had all, you know, success or things were going really well, then it's almost like I wouldn't get it out. I get out of it what I should have. So I think, yeah, enjoy the journey. Um, life, life goes very fast. Beautiful advice. Thank you so much, James. And before we go, can you please tell us where can people get in touch with you and your work? Where can we find more about you? Sure. Uh, I'm always happy to have a chat with anyone. Probably social media, uh, Instagram, James underscore Pratt7, Twitter, James underscore Pratt7, YouTube, James Pratt Official. And anyone that wants a bit of a, a look into uh, the film side, just IMDb, my name, James Pratt. Um, and anyone that's looking for some business, you can have a look at jamesprattoptions.com. Uh, I don't go on Facebook very much, so don't, if you find a profile of me on Facebook, that's not me. Uh, and LinkedIn, yeah, you can hit me up anytime, anyone on, on LinkedIn as well. It's uh, jamespratt7. Wonderful. James, I have got to ask you this. Is seven a lucky number for you? It is my favorite number, but I also felt I was trying to link them all together uh, at the time of making it because there was, say, one that was free with James Pratt and then there was another one that wasn't free, someone taking it. So I was trying to just make it very clean uh, just to leave anyone sort of searching. Wonderful. Thank you for saying that. Our fearless friends, get in touch with James. If you are not in Europe, have a look at his amazing movie, Malibu Crush. And if you're in Europe, just be patient. <laughs> It'll happen. It's coming. It's, it's coming. <laughs> it is coming. James, an honor and such a privilege to be having this talk with you. Thank you for your amazing insights. And I'm literally thrilled and curious to see what else you are going to create from now on. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much.